uh, we're wearing these hats this morning uh, because if you guys haven't heard or don't know, Bev, who used to play keyboard for us, she actually passed away on Monday. And these are her hats. She, we always call her the hat lady because she's always wearing hats. Uh, she has the best sense of humor in the world. Uh, the song we're doing right after the message is called Sweetly Broken, and every time we went to do it, she loves it. She do that song, and I was always like, okay, and then I'd cut it in half. We're going to start at the bridge and just do one chorus, and, and I made this joke. I was talking to her family about it. I made this joke, and I said, she's just dying to do that song, and they all laugh because that's her sense of humor. I told the band, and they go, ooh, and I go, no, no, they would have laughed. If you say that, make sure you tell them she would have laughed first because that would be really weird if you didn't. Uh, she, was, she, she kept saying things like, this election's going to kill me. <laughs> And she goes, she goes, I don't, she goes, I don't know. She goes, I think I'd rather just go than to live underneath either one of them. So, and there you go, right? So, but no, seriously, that, that, she, all that, you can go, you can laugh because she would think it's really funny. That is her sense of humor. Uh, what we are going to do is, Bev, she didn't want a funeral. But I, but I told her family that it's important to do things like memorials because it enables us to say goodbye. So if you knew Bev and wanted to, on the 27th, which is the Sunday after Thanksgiving, uh, at the Ernest House, we're going to do a memorial. And you are all invited to come if you would like to. Uh, apparently there's going to be squirt guns involved. I don't know what that means yet, haven't heard, but it probably will not be like any memorial that you have been to. So I think you're all encouraged to bring a hat. Even if you don't look good in it, nobody in the band looked good in the hat this morning. I'm just throwing that right out there. I mean, Jason looked like he's going to go to the fishing hole, you know. So, anyway, wear and bring a hat. I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, We're we're, going to miss her. We're going to miss her. But she she always downplayed how sick she was. Like, even at the end, she has liver failure. She's like, no, I have a bladder infection. We're like, What? Then. So anyway, uh, it, it'll be good to say uh, goodbye with her family and stuff. So you are all invited to uh, come to that. We'll talk more about it later, but just to let you know, that's why we're looking goofy. Bev and her hats. I took that one first. Jason tried to take it, and I go, no, that one's mine. Oh, my hat. Uh, I would like to say one more thing before we really get going anymore this morning is that uh, Tuesday is coming up. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Tuesday's coming up. You guys should go vote. You should vote. It is a privilege in our country that we get to be able to vote. Element will not tell you how to vote. What we will encourage you to do is read through candidates and read through issues. Don't just believe what you read or see or what you see on the TV or people who are for or against. Don't just listen to what they say. Actually read the ballot initiatives that are there. Read through those things. Uh, read about the candidates before you vote, and then and then pray about it and and vote. I don't. I think if you don't vote, you don't get to complain. Okay. So if you don't vote, I don't want to see you on Facebook saying anything. Just shut it. Okay. Because vote and then you can complain. Because I voted. I I always do absentee. So in case I'm not here, I always get it done. I already mailed it in. <laughs> now I can complain. There's this. <laughs> There's this, there's this old joke. Uh, it comes about like every election season, and, and it goes like this. It goes, so uh, the presidential candidates, they ended up stranded in a boat in the middle of the ocean. Who gets saved? America. <laughs> Four years from now, I will tell, probably tell that again. <laughs> so 
uh, go out and vote. I would also say this. Uh, we have a tendency to look at people who disagree with us politically and think that they're duped or they're dumb or they don't care. Uh, people usually vote the way they do because they do care. And I think it's inappropriate for us to look down on somebody else because of the way that they are voting or the way that they're going to vote. And I think that makes us unpatriotic because we are Americans. We get the right to vote. This is why it's put in front of us. So instead of looking at somebody as being unpatriotic, have the discourse and the discussion. Be willing to enter into discussions with people about these things. And, and speak from your heart. But Don't be rude and don't be a jerk, but speak from your heart and talk through certain things because this is what America is supposed to be. We're supposed to be able to have civilized discourse through our political process. And that... Uh, there's been studies that have been done this year that there's more anxiety in our country because of the, uh, the political process this year than at any other time. I think that's really sad. And I think that if you call yourself a Christian, you should most importantly not look down at other people, but step in and try and bridge the divide between people and try and have civilized discourse because it's going to be really, really good. So go out and vote. Uh, if you are newer to Element, welcome. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, you get some notes that go a little bit deeper into what we're talking about, as well as some questions to go through with your family, your friends, or if you're in a gospel community there as well. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on Live and then Events, and Uversion will come up by GPS. In your smartphone, you will get sermon notes versus questions and announcements, all that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. I want you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. This is John chapter 3, verse 3. It says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who understand and live in the idea of being born again. Uh, that we wouldn't make it something that it is not, and we would simply surrender and trust you for all of our lives, and especially in the middle of the political season that we are, that no matter what happens, we'd remember that you are sovereign and that you are good, and you sometimes allow us to go through some very difficult times so that we would grow, and we would see that whatever comes our way has been sifted through your hands, and we would trust you. Amen. Have a seat. So we are doing this short series to round out the year called What in the World? It's about all the things that I still look at in the Bible and they make me go, hmm, what, what in the world's up with that? This could be Jesus teaching, the Apostles Paul teaching, different things you read in different places. Uh, we have placed three by five cards on the communion tables where you can write your own What in the World question on those. On the back of your sermon notes, there's a QR code. If you have a reader in your smartphone, you can scan that. It'll take you to a web page and you can put in your What in the World question there. There's also a website on there you can put in your What in the World question. The next summer, we will come back and we will answer all of your What in the World questions so you get to determine a little bit of what we talk about next year. Next year, you're welcome. That does not normally happen. I am such a control freak, but whatever, okay? Uh, and what we always hope when we are done, you'll have a closer relationship to Jesus, and you will understand the scriptures better. Now, today we're going to hit a what in the world that you probably don't even think is a what in the world, but I think it should be, because Christians talk about this all the time, and sometimes I don't think we have any idea what we're talking about. We think we know about it because we heard it somewhere, or somebody said this, or some preacher talked about it, but most of, most of us miss it because we don't actually live out this thing being called born again. Now, born again is this whole movement in the 60s that started to come out, and some presidents claimed, well, I'm born again. Different people like Little Richard, Donna Summer, Bob Dylan, Dave Mustaine, Ted Nugent, Kanye West. Yep. 
Kanye West, Alice Cooper, Steven Tyler, Mariah Carey, Johnny Cash, Tim Tebow, Mr. T, and Jeremy Lin have all claimed at one point to be born again. 39% of white America, 63% of black Americans identify with the title born again. And a lot of people hear the word and they think, oh yeah, I know what that means. It's easy, but we should really re- respond like Nicodemus does when Jesus says it to him. And Nicodemus says, what in the world are you talking about? So open your Bibles to John chapter 3. So we're going to be... If you go to your neighbor and you said to your neighbor, like, oh, I go to Element. Well, what's that? And you explain. They're like, oh, that's cool. But if you said something like, I'm a born-again Christian, or I go to the church of the born-again, they're going to be like, oh, because it kind of means something different. And again, I don't think it's the meaning Jesus gives. So we want to come to grips with what he's talking about here. I'm going to read all of this, and then we're going to be clear uh, as mud. And then we'll talk about, then we'll be clear about what he's talking about. So I'm going to read John 3, 1 through 15, then we'll talk about it. Uh, John 3, starting verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, and that's a way of saying this is the truth. It's a double emphasis. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Because that would be awkward. So he's being a little sarcastic here. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So does everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? That right there is, what in the world? Verse 10, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So, totally clear now, right? Right, okay. So Jesus here is talking about new birth and being born again. And when he talks about it, it's not what a lot of people, I think, say about it. But it's very, very important. Today I feel like I'm going to be like one of those little kid shows. Aaron explains it all. That's... So Jesus says, new birth is important. Verse 7, he says, you must be born again, so it's pretty important. So we're going to look at the guy he talks to. He tells this thing to. This is a guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is exactly the kind of person that our culture, when they hear the words born again, doesn't think that he actually needs it. News organizations are always taking polls, and pollsters will now tell you that 70 to 80% of Americans would rather not have a born-again Christian living next door to them. And they ask them why. And that's because they define born again as one of two separate answers, or sometimes both. Number one, they say born again is a deeply emotional experience for people who need it. Broken people, convicts, drug addicts, people whose temperament is just all over the place, so they kind of need that. And they don't want them living next to them. Or secondly, they say born again means you're going to adopt a very tight moral structure, very authoritarian, very traditional. And for people who are really jacked up and don't have any rights, they need that black and white to have some moral security, which they say we don't want living next door to us. And I get that because I don't want them living next door to me either. So and it's either this emotional experience or an adoption of moral structures. 
But Jesus gives the call to new birth to Nicodemus. And he's the guy that completely contradicts both of those things. Both of those. Nicodemus is completely opposite of broken emotionally, and he has deep morals. Nicodemus is a member of the Jewish ruling council known as the Sanhedrin, and that means four things. Number one, he's old. You don't get there unless you're old. Like, i got to get up and pee five times a night old. Secondly, he's a man. Third, he is rich. And four, he is highly educated. Jesus calls him, he says, the teacher of Israel. That's a technical term like saying you have a PhD from Harvard or something like that. He is the cultural elite. That's who he is. And on top of all that, he's not spiritually seeking. A lot of people take these verses and go, oh, he came to Jesus at night. He's asking questions. He's really spiritually seeking. But that's not what you get in this encounter. Nicodemus goes at night. He doesn't say, Rabbi, I know you're a teacher. What he says is, we know you're a teacher. And that shows he's representing the establishment that he is in. If you know anything about the scriptures, anytime you hear the establishment, they're always against Jesus. Always. So Nicodemus is coming at night. He's doing what Tim Keller likes to call backroom politicking. He says, he says, look, you're, you're a young man. The establishment is against you, but there's some of us that want to play ball with you. You're doing some miracles. We think they're from God. We think your teaching is really good. So how about you play ball with us? He wants to get Jesus on their side. All the young people like you. So how about we put you on our posters? How about that, Jesus? That's what he's trying to do. Nicodemus is not spiritually seeking. He's not trying to find meaning in his life. He has reached the top. He's got it all together. He's refined. He is dignified. He's someone that everybody in our culture would look at and say, that guy has got it all together. And yet Jesus looks at that guy and he says, you must be born again. Not seeking, not broken, not a drug addict, not a person at the bottom, but a person at the top. You have to be born again. Now, today there are journals and studies that come out in the last couple of decades that show there's a growing consensus that the problems in the inner city and the problems in our jails are only going to be addressed by churches and ministries and faith-based institutions and programs. There are Democrats and Republicans who both see this now, and they're looking at it and saying these programs that are faith-based for uh, jail rehabilitation or drug rehabilitation, both of those things that they're seeing are done better through faith-based organizations. Some people have a hard time saying it, but they're having to reconcile these facts that for these broken people, simply born again works better for them. But in their minds, that what they say, it's for those people. It's for those people out there who need it, who are totally broken. Jesus goes to the man with the PhD, to the guy who writes the journals, and he says, you, with your fancy books and all your degrees, you must be born again. I think it's like Jesus talking to us today because it comes to the person who's, who has it all together and says, that's the guy that must be born again. We think it's those down on their luck, those messed up, but Jesus says, you do too. Nicodemus is the opposite of broken emotionally. He has morals. He's a Pharisee. Pharisees have hundreds of laws that they follow. They even have rules about how you pick your nose and how you spit. That's how many rules they have. And if you in your life have ever thought born again or being a Christian is about a moral structure, you have missed the point of the Bible and missed the point of the gospel altogether. Multiple times we tell you this, that Christianity is a call that is usually against morality and religion. It's not a call to more morality and religion. You ever, when I was growing up, I heard people say something like, oh, they don't smoke, they don't drink, they don't cuss, they don't go with people who do, they must be a Christian. Jesus goes to the guy who doesn't smoke, doesn't drink, doesn't cuss, doesn't sleep around, who's absolutely impeccable, and he says, you must be born again. 
What Jesus is saying is that everybody has to start at ground zero. Tim Keller writes this. He says, There's never been a message more radically against morality and religion than the message of new birth. Everybody must be born again. It doesn't matter your culture. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your emotional temperament. It doesn't matter your police record. None of that matters. And this is awesome because what Jesus is doing is he's pulling down all of our excuses for not believing the message ourselves. He's destroying all the patronizing answers of people who say, oh, I'm good enough. I work really hard. I've got it all together. I'm not screwed up like them. Jesus says, yeah, you are because that's pride. Jesus takes Nicodemus to task and he essentially says, you shouldn't be surprised at this. You shouldn't be surprised. You're going to go back and have to rethink everything about faith and spirituality. And if being born again and surrendering your life to God and all things becoming new isn't the center of your understanding about faith, then you've missed it all. Jesus says the same thing to us. We all must be born again. So what does it mean? Well, I think being born again can be a very emotional experience because when your life changes, it it affects you. It it changes you. But what you have to understand is that when Nicodemus, he will come to a place where he believes, but he's never emotionally volatile. He never is like really expressive. He's a lot like my wife. My wife is very, my wife can be very excited about something and still look very stoic. Like I go and I try and find her the best Christmas present I can every year. And I'm like, she's going to love this. And I give it to her and she's like, oh, that's great. Thanks. And I'm like, I want sweet Jesus. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That's what I want. But I get, oh, that's wonderful. And I'm like, that's excitement. Okay, okay, I'll do it. (laughs) Once you get rid of the idea that it has to be some emotional experience or some moral structure, then you can get down to the core of what it actually is because all the easy answers and all the cliches are gone. So, so what is it? Well, Jesus uses other metaphors for new life and new birth. He will use living water as a metaphor. He'll use light as a metaphor. We'll talk about that actually on Christmas Eve. But the reason Jesus uses new birth here is because of who he's talking to so that we would understand and get it because that's really what becoming a believer in Jesus is. It's a do-over. Life has changed. Everything now gets to become different. Jesus doesn't say, Nicodemus, you've done really well, you've come really far, now I'm going to help you just go the little bit of the rest of the way. He goes, no, you've got to go back to the beginning. You've got to start at day one. Jesus says, nothing you've ever done in your life counts towards becoming a citizen of heaven. Romans 3.10 says, as is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. That was quoting back to Isaiah 64.6, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Our works count for nothing. Everybody has to start over. And for a lot of people, that's such great news because everybody gets to start over. Christianity is not an addition to what you've done. It's not your life plus God. It's not your life plus Jesus. It's a whole new thing. And this is one of the reasons why whenever Christianity has become the cathedral religion of a country where it's like the central thing of it, it starts to get twisted beyond recognition. It starts to become something it was never meant to be. It becomes like for these insiders. Like if you came and you're in this room this morning and you think that God loves you more because you're here and loves you more than maybe the homeless guy or the drug addict you passed on the way here, then you've twisted the message of Jesus. This is why I hate listening to politicians talk about spirituality because they approach it like privilege. We're the winners and they're the losers. What Jesus says is, is you and, and me 
and the politicians and the movie stars and your favorite book author and your favorite Bible teacher and your therapist and the prostitute and the drug addicts and the wife beaters and the adulterers, you are all in the same place spiritually. And if you want to know God, you must be born again. And what that means is you have to start at day one. Your entire life is surrendered to God and he will remake you again. Now, do you think that people who have lived their entire life in a moral structure like a Pharisee, or even today like people who have lived very moral lives, that they have it all together, they've worked really hard, accept the message of new birth with joy and tears? No, they don't at all. That, and that's why Jesus says that the prostitutes and the sinners or the pimps and the crackos, they are going to the kingdom of God ahead of you. Not because they're better than us, but because they understand the message. Because they get, yes, I want a new start. I want to begin again. That's what they understand. They know they need all they have in this life is falling apart. And what they need is Jesus. If you have ever said something like, oh, you know, if you really knew what I've done in my life, you wouldn't welcome me. Or if I stepped foot in a church, lightning would strike. Then that means the gospel is good news for you. It is good news. You are not behind the most wonderful person you think lives on this planet. You are in exactly the same place. When it comes to Jesus, we all must be born again. Born again is about a new and a changed life. The things that define you no longer have to define you. You are so changed, you have a shift in your identity. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24, the Apostle Paul says, Be renewed in the spirits of your mind and put on the new self. That's born again. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You feel like in some ways you really are a brand new person. That everything is changing. Your relationship to everything around you has changed so much because God is remaking you. Now, one of the few people at Element who appreciate Augustine like I do, he's an old church father, is John G. He's a therapist. I think he gets it. You know, I think John really likes Augustine's changed life. I like that Augustine wasn't afraid to argue with anybody. <laughs> Whatever. Now, before Augustine w- was born again, he's pretty much a sex addict, okay? So after conversion, he travels back to a town he hadn't been in in many years, and up comes this woman who he used to have sex with. A lot. A lot. She comes running up, and Augustine is kind and warm. He's really nice to her, but everything's a little bit different. She didn't know how to take him, so they start to say goodbye and walk away. And she thinks, well, maybe he thought I was somebody else, because he was nice and kind, but he wasn't all, hey, about you. Well, well. She didn't say that. but you know, it's... So she calls to him, and she says, Augustine, it is I. And Augustine responds to her, yes, I know, but it is not I. Now, it's not that Augustine is schizophrenic. He remembers who he was, but he speaks about how he was so different now that he was born again, that everything that made his identity was now new and different. If you become a Christian, you follow Jesus for a few years, you remember all the things you used to do, but sometimes you think, like, I don't even remember why I used to do that. Like, after I was a Christian for a couple of years, I saw someone I hadn't seen for a few years, and the first question they asked me was, do you know where I can buy some pot? That was their question to me. And not that I sold drugs, but my, one of my good friends, still don't. <laughs> one of my good friends in high school, their dad was a drug dealer. And we used to have parties at his house and stuff, so I always knew where to send somebody to get stuff. And I was, I was so blown away. And that was the first time after becoming a Christian that I realized how different I actually was. Because I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Keller, he likes to call the new birth organically radical. 
because it changes us organically from our core. He thinks this is what it means when Jesus uses the term born again, this supernatural life put into us. Jesus says in John 3, 5 through 8, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And what Jesus is doing there is he is summarizing and quoting Ezekiel 36 and Ezekiel 37 in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 36, God says, I'm going to give you a new heart by washing you with water in the Spirit. And so what Jesus does, he likens that Spirit to water that brings a new desire for holiness. In Ezekiel 37, it speaks of a place where Ezekiel sees all these dried bones. And this wind comes in and God says, my Spirit's going to give them life. When Jesus says to be born again, it means at a certain point, God brings you to life. God places his spirit in you. He implants deep in our heart at our very root organically new desires and new motivations and new power and new life are planted in us. You no longer are trying to justify all the things you want to do and you start to live a little bit differently because our lives are centered in him. 1 Peter 1.23 says, You have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Peter says this is the implantation of new life. Let me see if I can make this make sense a little bit more. Imagine you have an apple orchard, and you've had it for years, and you have decent apples, and finally you're like, I don't like apples anymore. I want peaches. I'm going to get peaches somehow. And so if you don't understand how things work correctly, you might say, I'm going to water it and fertilize it better than I did last year. I'm going to read books about peaches, and I'm going to talk about peaches, and I'm going to buy and use peach fertilizer if there is a thing. I don't know. Okay? And you know what will happen at the end of the year? What are you going to get? Apples. You might get bigger and nicer apples, but you're still going to just get apples. You're not going to get peaches like that. But I'll, but I'll prune them. And that book on peaches, I'll read it to the trees. This is, make me peaches, trees. Make, what's going to happen? You're going to get apples. That's exactly right. How do you get peaches? You plant new roots. You plant new trees. Things become different. You completely replant them. If you think that being a Christian means you simply try to read, try to read your Bible harder or get in a GC or go to church more or, do all, or not do all the things your mother told you not to do and you've still been doing anyway, what you're trying to do is just get peaches from an apple orchard. What our lives need to do is be surrendered to God and He is the one who remakes us through the life and death of His Son. New birth is morally, spiritually, psychologically, organically radical. Jesus says in Nicodemus, you think true religion is basically getting these teachings and when you get enough of these teachings, you'll just live those out and that will make God like you. As long as you believe that, Nicodemus, you will never be born again. He says, Nicodemus, you've got to break out of your self-imposed paradigm and be born again to a new way of thinking and seeing. Nicodemus says, I know why you came. You came to teach. Jesus says, you don't need more teaching, dummy. (laughs) You don't need more teaching. And if you treat me like a teacher who only tells you these things and you go out and try and do those things, you're never going to be born again. But if you treat me as the Savior who has done everything for you, who will die and rise from the grave to rescue and redeem you, that means you'll be born again. This is why the Apostle Paul talks about the new self. He understands that through new birth we have a new self, but you still have your old self. And those two things are going to war inside of you, a new you and an old you. And Paul says you can either operate out of a paradigm of a new self or an old self. I'll tell you how this works. The week I was putting this message together, someone on staff asked me if I had finished something I was supposed to get done. And I didn't, and I said, oh, i got just one more thing to do, and then I'll have it tomorrow morning. I hadn't done any of it. 
But I did get it done the next morning because I said I would. But, but I lied because I didn't want to look really bad. That's operating out of an old paradigm. My wife and I, if you would ask us, we'd probably say we're about the same level of sinfulness. I think I'm worse, but she would say we're about the same. I think I'm worse because if you were to ask her if she got something done and she didn't do it, she would say, oh, I forgot. She'd just tell you. She's, my wife is very black and white. I'd be like, ah, oh, lie to me. You know? <laughs> she just... But she won't. <laughs> I'm not joking either. So... And so I look at this, and, and, and I, out of my old paradigm, I think, I've got I've to front. I've got to put things in front of me so people think I'm better than I am. But Jesus says, you don't need to do that. You simply need to trust me for this, and everything in your life will start to change. I'd probably actually get my work done better and faster realizing operating the new self because I'd realize I was working for Jesus and not for other people. To be born again means you begin to see everything differently. It is morally and psychologically and organically radical. I, I love that Nicodemus, which you'll see later on, he really does start to follow Jesus. But you really see he starts to listen here. Because Nicodemus keeps trying to talk and Jesus keeps interrupting him. And no, you're not Jesus. You don't get to do that to me. Okay? But Nicodemus in the text, his first statement is 30 words in the Greek. 30 words. His second statement is 20 words. And his fourth statement is four words. What in the world? That's how I translate it, right? What, what in the world? And after that, he never speaks again. Jesus just overrides him all the way to the end of the chapter. And I, you can read it sometime. I think, I think it's great. But you never hear from Nicodemus again because he starts listening. Nicodemus shows up. Oh, you're essentially a teacher. And Jesus says, if you believe that, you're never going to be born again. Nicodemus is like, but we know you're from God to teach us. And Jesus is like, yeah, I came from God, a little closer to God than you think, because I used to live in heaven, and I am God, so... You know, and then Nicodemus goes, what in the world? And then he just is silent and he listens. We need to be a people who start listening to what Jesus says. Instead of trying to talk all of our stuff, we need to listen to what he says first in our lives. We need to stop asking, oh, how do I get this experience? Or how do I get these feelings, this and that? Because birth is something that happens to you. It's something that he does. You can't make yourself be born. He's the one that does that. When a baby is born, it's all the mother. The, mother is, the baby is brought into this world through the mother's labor and through the mother's pain. Somebody else suffers. Somebody else is burdened. Somebody else is, is bleeding. Somebody else is in anguish. Somebody else. If you're a dad and, and you have kids, you know that wasn't you going through all the pain right there. You, Jesus says you can't make yourself a Christian. You can't force yourself into it. We are a people who surrender to the goodness of God, and by faith, he is the one who remakes us. Jesus doesn't tell Nicodemus, go get born. He doesn't say, go have this experience. What he will tell Nicodemus is, you need to believe in me, the one that God has sent to rescue and redeem you, and I am the one who will give you new birth. And this idea of a mother in anguish and new birth, it travels all the way through the Gospel of John. In John 16, Jesus is talking about his death, and he refers to it like a woman giving birth. John 16, 21, he says, When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. Jesus is talking about his death and his resurrection. Every place Jesus talks about his hour in the Gospel of John, he's talking about his death. What Jesus says is, I'm that woman. I'm the mother. I will die in this labor for you. I will die in my blood for you. And when I am lifted up on that cross, I will lose the Father's love for you so that you can have that. Even as I die, I will see you reborn. And it will all be worth it. Not because we are so good. 
that because God has made a promise to rescue and redeem his people, and God is good on his promise. We must become a people who stop using this phrase like born again and simply begin to live lives that are truly born again. The word radical, the root of that, literally means the root of something. And so when you say organically radical, it organically changes in our root who we are to remake us. And the way that happens is our lives are surrendered and found only in Jesus Christ. And then we become a people who are remade and reborn because Jesus does that work in us. It is him who does the work. Our lives are surrendered to him. We start at ground zero and move forward. And just like that ballet dry bones that Ezekiel 37 talks about, sometimes God comes and he, and he breaks us because we have healed sometimes in our lives the wrong way. So sometimes he has to break us and reset us so we begin to grow the right way. This is what God does when he makes us reborn. He begins to grow us into the people he intends for us to be. This is one of the reasons we talk about communion every week. Communion is where you break that cracker, which represents Christ's body that was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me and ultimately points to his resurrection, that we are a people who have had all these things that separated us from God and us and each other. And Jesus, in his death on the cross, takes care of that. He rises from the grave to bring us back to new life so we can really and truly be his people again. It is not about finding more morality. I believe that Jesus does bring different morals into our lives, but he's the one that brings it. Morality doesn't bring Jesus. Jesus brings a different morality into us. He remakes us. He renews us. And if you would like, there'll be deacons and elders in the back that would love to pray with you. You can take communion. The band's going to come up as they do. Like I said, we might take communion. Uh, Pray with one of the guys in the back. If maybe you haven't ever understood what it means to be born again, you thought Christianity was like a moral structure that just placed upon you, do these things, and then you're better. It's not how it works. Anybody who follows Jesus for any length of time realizes, do these things and it'll make you better. It doesn't make you better. It makes you weird is what it does. <laughs> and so we would encourage you to be a people who at times ask God to break you in a way that resets you and remolds you so that you can be the person he intended for you to be. There's offering boxes on the side wall in the back, and we give because God gives so much to us. Giving is in part of our worship, so you have that opportunity every week. Uh, I don't know if we ever got food in the back, but if there is food in the back, grab something to eat, meet some other people, and maybe start talking through some of these things about what it really means to be born again. You know, what has what your understanding of born again been, and maybe what is it now, or maybe you're just more confused than ever. Then don't talk to me because I thought I got it well enough, but oh, talk to somebody else. <laughs> you know, I mean, talk through those things. What does it mean to truly live lives that are born again, that are centered in the person of Jesus? Guys, our God is so much better than we can ever imagine. He does not leave us in our broken and fallen state. He is a God who steps into our lives and has promised to redeem us. We surrender all that we are to Him. And he remakes us and renews us and puts us in a life that brings him great glory and we get to live in great joy because he is that good. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would begin as a people to understand what it means to really be born again. That we wouldn't make it about a moral structure, but we would make our lives all about you. That we would understand that starting over is a good thing. That starting over is a get-to then we know that some of us will grow faster than others. And I ask that 
those who grow slower than others wouldn't look and envy anybody else. They'd simply trust you to continue to bring about the growth in their life that you're bringing. And that we'd understand that you are the author and perfecter of our faith. And you move us and grow us as you see fit. I ask that at times when you need to break us, that we would understand that we are sweetly broken. That it is not breaking out of malice. It is breaking out of love and resetting and binding up wounds out of love. And that we would see all things that come into our lives as being sifted through your great and good hands. And that we would understand that we may not understand what's happening, but we'd understand that you are sovereign and good. And that all things in our lives can have us grow to live and love and know you more and to live and love outside of these walls of this building so the world would know how good you are. Teach us to love you in ways that shows that we have been remade and reborn by you. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.